Welcome to the City Speaking Podcast. The City Speaks, you try to follow obedient. Alright, so you ever meet someone that seems to just keep plugging away at different projects and over a span of like a year or so you can see all the different and cool things they've accomplished and you're like, what the hell have I been doing with my time? Well, today's episode of the podcast is my conversation with one such character, Nomad's Land. Matt is one of those really talented people that's worked hard and has achieved in multiple fields. And, you know, all the fields he's worked in, or he works in, I should say, really, uh, kind of feed into each other. Uh, Matt returned home to Hong Kong a little while ago for the screening of his short film, Sick to My Bones, at the uh, Third Culture Film Festival. And he also used that time to shoot the sequel to that film. Um... I'm a big fan of the film. Um, I think it's genuinely a really stellar short, and it's done great on the festival circuit. So I really wanted to talk about you know, how he got the project off the ground in the first place and how he turned his ideas into something so well-crafted and so close to his vision, or I mean, basically you know, achieving uh, the vision that he had in mind. We also get into the inspiration and concept of this film, and he shares that a large part of it is a discussion on beliefs and religion, uh, right versus wrong, morality, mortality, death. Um, and you know, our conversation goes down that rabbit hole quite a bit. You know, atheism and science and education come up as well. I definitely felt like you know, Richard Dawkins and Neil deGrasse Tyson should have piped in on the conversation. But uh, even without them, I think we did okay. Uh, but then we get into, you know, cultural background talk and how we think or really actually I should say don't think uh, critically about our identities. Anyway, I really enjoyed talking with Matt. Um, It was a really stimulating discussion and I want to give a big thank you again to Matt. Uh, He was running on fumes after consecutive days of pre-production and production and shooting and and he had an hour to spare uh, sort of between all the madness and uh, you know, I got to catch him during one of those lulls. And even under those conditions, you know, with minimal, with minimal sleep, um, he still brings uh, an alertness and a, a lucidness, a lucidity uh, to the table. So, Matt, thank you very much for that. Uh, the only thing left to say is that I do apologize in advance. I was a bit run down as well, uh, as you'll hear me in the podcast. Uh, I'll be clearing my throat quite a bit, so I apologize uh, if it's a bit abrupt on your uh, on your old eardrums. So anyway, I think that's it from me. Enjoy the episode, guys. Uh, I now present to you the very talented Nomad's Land. The city speaks. You try to follow obedient. Even the ones um, so I am living in London at the moment, and uh, I wrote a short film, which is the second film of a trilogy that I have in mind. And um, this second film, I always knew that I wanted to shoot in Hong Kong. And uh, that's why I'm here. We managed to raise up enough money to get production going and fly out my crew from the UK, work with crew here in Hong Kong. So we just finished filming about uh, almost a week ago. And uh, I've been running on about three hours, four hours sleep on average for the past two weeks. Just getting all the prep done, then the filming done, and then trying to relax afterwards. But that hasn't really happened at all. Yeah. Thanks for doing this, by the way. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> no worries. Well, why don't we talk about the why don't we talk about the first film though? Because okay. I like personally, I was really excited when you were doing this because I remember you had already moved to London at the time. Yes, and I I've been following what you've been up to on social media and everything, and you posted the Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. Talking about wanting to raise funds for this particular idea. Yeah. By the way, I, I thought you did a really great job of, <clears throat> and even now, like this is one thing I really like about what you do is you're really good at presenting content um, and concepts as to this is what I'm trying to do, this is what I'm trying to achieve, these are the visu- visuals, these are the things I want to. So anyway, can you talk a bit about what that first film was like? Uh, well, I mean, my background is in visual arts primarily, and then I started working as a, as an actor and a puppeteer, and uh, I trained in that in Los Angeles, 
And then for a few years, I've been working as an actor professionally, uh, but still working on my art and doing a lot of art exhibitions, uh, very surreal existential sort of artwork. Um, I'm very much into the ideas of consciousness and awareness, uh, empathy with your fellow man. And uh, I was thinking, how do I bring all of these tools that I've learned over the years together? And eventually I felt that film was the best avenue for that. What did, where did you study in, in California? I studied at the California Institute of the Arts. Okay. Yeah, it was a very... Was it puppeteering? Because I know you do a lot of painting, you do a lot of drawing and illustration. Yeah. But you studied, was it puppeteering there? Uh, acting. Acting. Okay. Yeah, it was acting. Um, so illustrations and paintings, that's just something that I've always been doing in my own time mm. and uh, developed, a, I, I guess, a, a pretty good talent for it. And uh, I never wanted anyone to teach me how to paint how to draw. I wanted that to come from within. Why? Um, because it was so personal to me, uh, and I felt it was the only avenue where I had complete control over. So if I wanted to improve on a s certain technique, it'd be something that I'd have to figure out on my own. I don't know. It's a very, very stubborn way of working on an art instead of going to a class for it. And um, But you only view visual art in that way? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Personally, for my for my own work, um, but with acting, you know, I felt like it'd be a really great opportunity for me to go to Los Angeles and and learn how to be a professional actor and work with, because acting is such a collaboratory collaborative art form. You're working with other actors. You need to bounce off of them. Whereas visual arts, it's it's a very individual individualistic um, avenue of expressing yourself. So I learned uh, very many different techniques at Cal Arts. And one of those techniques was the art of puppetry, which I started learning in my third year. And I found out that I was actually very good at it. And so after I graduated from CalArts, I worked primarily as a puppeteer in L.A. Um, I guess, you know, being an actor in L.A. is incredibly difficult. Mm. And there are not that many puppeteers in Los Angeles. I don't know many puppeteers in the world yeah. in general. I mean, right. it's pretty unusual. Yeah, it is. Work. And and usually when people think of puppeteers, they think that they work on stuff like Sesame Street and Muppets mm. or like sock yeah. puppets and that kind of stuff. But a lot of the puppetry that I worked with was like shadow puppetry, uh, bunraku puppets, or like these giant uh, Japanese-influenced puppets. Um, not so much marionettes. Um, okay. But the, the, the genre that we'd work in would be quite dark. Um, very experimental, so really weird monsters and figures that we play with um, in the realm of like music videos and uh, and film. Okay, is it kind? Of, so I'm going to close up. Uh, turn the uh, turn this off. <clears throat> so like life size pop. This sounds very much, and this is one one area why I I guess I really connected with the first short film you were making was. Mm. Not just the theme, which we'll get into later, but also the the visuals reminded me so much of the Dark Crystal, sure. which was the Jim Henson movie from was it nineteen eighty I think or yeah, eighty one like yeah. yeah. Um, did he have a huge influence on you? I mean, I'm guessing yes. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, I have very many different artists that inspire my work. Uh, Jim Henson's work on The Labyrinth and The Dark Crystal yeah. definitely heavily influence, uh, influence my, my work and visual style. Um, but primarily at the end of the day, it was my paintings. So I wanted to see my paintings come to life. So I, I do a lot of really crazy, surreal landscape art, which is quite similar to Salvador Dali. Mm. And um, and also also influenced by anime and manga, so Japan a lot of Japanese art. So I was like meshing those two together in my in my paintings, and I thought, well, oh, this would actually look really cool in a film setting. Yeah, because I remember you posting a lot of visual. I guess they be, they eventually became references, yes. but you yeah. but it was really your paintings first. So you use painting as a medium to explore the concept and story you had in mind first. Yeah. And then they those sort of became visual references for the story itself. Yeah, like concept art okay. and storyboard ideas. Yeah. So this is the first film. Mm. 
let's talk about that. The first film, the first film is called Sick to My Bones. And, uh, Which has done excellent. Congratulations, by the way. I'm thank really, you. I'm really happy to have backed it, and I'm really, really yeah, pleased to see it do so well in so many festivals. Couldn't have done it without you, man. No, because please, please, buddy, <laughs> you're the one with the talent on this one. But, but anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, I guess talk about the film. What, what was it about, and everything? Um, I guess where it came from. Uh, the 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 story is is set millions of years in the future, and the and humanity has evolved after a post uh, after an apocalyptic event that happens on earth and the remaining survivors of humanity uh, the earth is completely trashed you cannot breathe you cannot live on the surface anymore so the remaining uh, survivors either dug underground and created their communities underground or up in the upper atmosphere and over millions and millions of years these two uh, factions of Homo sapiens had evolved into these creatures. So the ones from below evolved into these quite large demonic type creatures, and the ones up above evolved to have wings and they can fly and that kind of stuff. And when the Earth eventually heals, they come back to the planet, and wow, like all these natural resources are here. There's fresh water. There's there there are trees and grass and vegetation, and it basically just kicks off another war between these two creatures and not knowing that they actually came from humanity, that they are actually the same. So, so, so at this point they don't know, they just think they're different. Yeah. But the, the story itself, it's, it's a short film. So in 15 minutes, I, I talk about the backstory while these two creatures, one is the winged warrior and one is like the demonic, uh, prisoner. And, uh, they're, going through this wasteland of war, uh, trying to go towards a, a sense of salvation. So the, the winged warriors have figured out a way how to end the war once and for all, because they're at a stalemate. You know, they're equally matched. Uh, you kill one, one person on one side, they'll kill another person on the other side, etc., etc. The powers are very similar. And um, for... I don't know, a few generations, they're like, this is not going anywhere. It's just endless killing, endless killing, endless bloodshed. So the winged warriors have figured out a way how to win the war once and for all. And they've developed the technology to assimilate their enemy, um, which is quite weird. So they, they, what they do is they take the, the, the demon characters deep under the ocean where they have these machines that transform them into the winged warriors. So <clears throat> without giving away, but that's why they end up at that final location yes. in the short film. Yeah. That's where they that's where the winged warrior that's where she's taken him. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now, the winged warrior was played by an actress. Yes. Who looks human. Yes. But where puppetry comes in is in the demon. Yes. And demon is huge. Like it, like twi- almost twice the yeah, size. Yeah, about about nine to ten feet tall. So you guys, you guys commissioned someone to build that. Yes. So we hired someone from. So we shot the film in Scotland, in on the Isle of Skye. Beautiful, place. absolutely amazing. Location. The cinematography is phenomenal on that one. Yeah, uh, an amazing location for uh, <laughs> a post-apocalyptic story, and so we commissioned. Uh, a puppetry company called Vision Mechanics that are based in Edinburgh to build this nine-foot-tall puppet would be manipulated by one of the puppeteers who would be inside the the demon body, manipulating the head and the two arms. The description and the visual harkens a little bit. It reminds me a bit of the Skeksis in um, just a little bit. Not not the face itself, but the idea of this large moving thing. Sure. That is that is appears evil. Right, right, right. Reminds me a lot of the Skeksis in the okay, Dark Crystal. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Anyway. For me, um, and this is where we start talking about, I guess, concept. Sure. The um, the visual references that I got, why a winged warrior and why a demonic sort of creature, is it's a play on the angels and the demons that get depicted in Christian mythology. Oh, wow. So one of the influences or inspirations that I got from the film, for the film, the idea was, I want to see 
angels and demons in a real life setting how can that actually happen for real without bringing in um the uh supernatural element i don't want to say supernatural the supernatural well i'm gonna say it the supernatural element uh the elements of god and the devil but how do i bring that in a real world setting and i approached it with a very scientific approach which is evolution Mm. you know humanity human beings can evolve to look like these creatures so it's a play on what is good what is evil what are these images that humans are so associated with it's like okay when i think of good in that realm i think of you know a bright wonderful looking angel and i think of evil then i think of this scary demonic sort of character and i decided to break those concepts down um and you see that there really is no such thing as good and evil uh, on either side they think that they're right mm-hmm. which is the same case in pretty much any war that occurs you know in human history uh it's perspective and a difference of opinion really yeah it's advocating for you your people or whatever yeah, it is your beliefs exactly. right so yeah no one thinks that they're the bad guy ever even people like Osama bin Laden or, or Adolf Hitler, they never thought of themselves as evil or, or bad. They thought that they were doing the right thing. Mm. You know, It's all a matter of opinion and perspective. Uh, I'm not saying that they were good people, but in their minds no, I and with the people saying. that supported them, mm. totally. <clears throat> no, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, so those were the, the concepts that I really wanted to explore and break down, and I wanted to use the Christian mythology to, to showcase that because... They're very clear-cut images that everyone around the world can understand. I want to talk really quickly about the funding portion of this, and then we'll talk about the second film, which which is why you're back in Hong Kong in the first place. The funding for the first film. Funding for the first film, and even the second film, I guess. But just the idea of, you know, very few people think of short films as a way to make money. And I know that's not why you did this. I'm not saying that at all. But the idea of trying to get funding mm. for this kind of project mm. independently must have been really challenging. Definitely. Can we unpack that a little bit? Um, well, the good thing is I have parents that support my work. So I come from uh, a family that is very supportive of the lifestyle that I decided to choose. And um, they're not exactly rich people themselves, but... You know, they, they managed to fork out um, quite a bit of money to, to help me out make these films. But at the same time, we did an online online campaign. And, you know, the network that I've built over the years in Los Angeles, in Hong Kong, and in London, all very, very supportive. They've seen my work um, as an actor, as a puppeteer, and as a painter. And, uh, yeah, they just kind of went with it. They're like, totally, we're going to support you, Matt. So I would have raised maybe about... 70% of funding on these Indiegogo campaigns, online ca- online campaigns, and then the rest of it, I'd fork out my money and my parents would help me out. Yeah. But uh, these were not cheap short films. They're very big budgets for a very short story. Um, and that's primarily because I work in such a visual... Uh, in such a visual style that it kind of needed that money to for it to work essentially sure sure i mean even if you're leveraging the beauty of the set like you did in the isle of sky yes getting everyone there to capture it in the way you need it mm. still requires the funding Definitely. and the manpower and all that kind of stuff Definitely. anyway so yeah and i'm not one who likes to take favors from anyone um if i can pay them then i will pay them um because i want the best work from these people, you know, as professional as they can be. Um, like with, I could have built the puppet myself, but I decided to go with a professional company to to make it for me. I could have shot the film myself on a on an iPhone or a DSLR, but I decided to go with an Ari Alexa and uh, hire a professional cinematographer, etc., etc. Gotcha. And now you're back in Hong Kong. And now I'm back in Hong Kong and with the second film. We've wrapped up filming. Yes. For the second one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is the second in the trilogy. Hopefully, it's going to be a trilogy. It, the <laughs> is, is funding getting increasingly? Is that is that part of it, or why? And, why are you saying that? Yeah, funding is really really difficult, and you don't get any money back. 
uh, we've we've got d- distribution offers with the first film, and we've made a bit of money from that. But it's it doesn't you're not getting your money back at all. Um, if anything, short films are a good portfolio for feature projects. Sure, you know, uh, working with big time production companies to see what you're capable of doing. Um, it's like a calling card. Um, but I don't really think like that because I don't really think like a filmmaker. I think like a just a, an artist in general. When I made these films, I never thought it's film festivals, it's going to uh, get distribution, um, then I'm going to start working on feature films. It was never like that. It was always the idea of, well, I feel like my films are so experimental and surreal. They actually belong in art galleries, um, which hasn't happened yet because... They are entering film festivals. They are touring around the world. Um, but that's the idea. Well, I mean, because of the medium, it makes sense that that's how, that's how it's going to get yeah, traction. Yeah, sure. And it gets way. great exposure yeah. as well. So like with our first film, um, we've now been in about 20 film festivals all over the world uh, in pretty much every continent except Australia. Australians don't want our film, but everybody else does. Um, is it just a season thing, or have they just not? Have you you you've submitted, but they just haven't? Sent We've only submitted okay. to like one festival no. in, in Australia. So, okay. Well, I'll, right. I'll keep an eye out for for several more. Good, good, good. But yeah, like the latest one, we just got accepted to a festival in Bali, which is pretty cool. Oh, nice. So this year we well, what we've got left for the remainder of this year so far is one in Bali, one in South Africa, uh, one uh, in Croatia, and one in, I think there's one in America, somewhere, okay. Florida, I think. Yeah. yeah, but the second film. Yeah, let's talk about that. The second film is called May You Never Die, and it's a, when I say it's part of a trilogy, it's kind of set in the same universe. So the first film was set millions of years in the future when humanity had evolved. The second film is set in present day when the apocalypse, the apocalyptic event which causes the evolution in the first film uh, occurs. So May You Never Die is about the end of humanity as we know it. Um, But that's basically the backdrop. What it is is an exploration on the concept of the fear of death, which again um, is another way of me exploring my critique of uh, religious ideology. Um, I seem to have, I have issues with the idea of an afterlife. Okay, can we, can we talk a bit about that then? Yeah. Um, Is it the idea that one exists or the idea that you feel that people have been sold something that yeah. you don't think is it's feasible? The, it's or? the latter. It's... Um, my, my my problem with people believing in an afterlife is that it doesn't give it doesn't add weight to it doesn't add value to the life that they have right now because they feel like well if I'm gonna die it's gonna be fine because I'm gonna have an afterlife to do whatever I want as long as I'm a good person I can keep reading my favorite books up in heaven or have sex with that beautiful model that I've always dreamed about because it's heaven is that is that what heaven's about? I, I haven't heard that. But you mean the idea that you can you can live on in heaven, experiencing the things that you enjoy? Is that what it's it supposed to be? It can be whatever you want because well, because because there's only so different versions of, of exactly of what, what heaven is. But heaven heaven is an abstract concept concept that many people can have many interpretations of. But I feel I find it dangerous. Essentially, at the end of the day, I find it dangerous because people do not do not take life that they have right now. There are only one true life. 60, 70, 80 years, just a few decades on this planet, and that's it, and they should live it to the fullest. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm, I'm generalizing, obviously, but I feel if you have that idea that you're going to live forever somewhere after you die, um, you're not going to take this life that seriously. Do you think so? But I thought the idea was that you do well in this life to try to get your way into it. So anyway, for, for me though, the, 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 the issue I tend to have is that mm. ideology makes good people do things that that impedes progress of humanity. Like for me, that would be the greater issue in terms of, so example is, um, 
stem cell research as an example, right? Mm-hmm. We, we, don't, we don't want to use stem cells because it's, it, it can have relations with abortion and abortion is an issue. Sure. I guess that kind of stuff. But I guess what you're saying is the idea that if you, you, you think it's a, basically it's a fallacy. The idea that you get to go somewhere after you're gone and then you can fulfill and live happily there instead of really fully living while you're here. Yes. Like, why are you, why are you delaying your chance to fully live yes. now when you know you can versus yeah. in some sort of, is that, is that an accurate summation? Yeah. Am I yeah. putting words I mean, in the mouth? That's, that, that's one of, of, of many ideas, uh, um, which particularly pertains to this second film. Um, okay. That, that issue with, with the afterlife. Um, I mean, I feel if the end of the world were to happen, a lot of people would be okay with it. You've got a lot of people in this world who want the rapture to happen now. Mm-hmm. You know, they are they are they can't wait for the end of the world to happen, so they can finally see Allah or see God or see Jesus or see Muhammad. They can finally be at peace, and they don't have to worry about the toils and tribulation of humanity right now at this moment. You don't have to deal with these issues because. It doesn't matter. What really matters is my time in heaven or whatever. So I think, I think instead, of, instead of it being one particular religion, it's just a general idea. It's, it, sounds yeah. like, it sounds like Abrahamic religions here yes. in this particular context. Sure. But it is sort of this nebulous general concept of yeah. v- later as yes. opposed to what is the now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And what it is, I mean, the reason why the, the idea of an afterlife came into into fruition is our fear of death you're totally afraid of dying everyone's afraid of dying and the only way to get people past that concept was to create a story that there is an afterlife so once that story was put in place people are like oh okay i don't have to worry anymore i don't have to worry i'm gonna die but it's gonna be okay because i'm still gonna be my spirit my soul is still gonna keep on living which is a lie it's an it's an absolute lie. It's it's a story. It's a it's a happy story to keep people safe. Sure. Let's move on to the movie. Let's move on to this. So right. so through so with that concept, um, the fear of dying, um, I created this character who he's experiencing the end of the world, and then he goes into his own imaginary world. Um, he starts concocting his imaginary friends to help him get through this fear, uh, which is very, very surreal. You know, I've, I've introduced puppetry again in this one. Um, a, a large demonic-like creature <laughs> again, um, but this time he exists in his mind. He's an imaginary friend that he's had since, uh, since childhood, and uh, he Does decides to... Have any relation to you? I mean, in terms of no. the idea of an imaginary, no, no, no. okay. No. Um, but he's a, he, he represents the fear that this child, that this man has had his whole life. So he thinks maybe I'll battle fear with fear, um, cancel the two out, become at peace. Um, but without giving anything away, really, the idea is how do I come to a sense of peace, maybe enlightenment, without having a story to make me feel better. So what he does is he explores the science, what really happens to you when you die in the long term. So what actually really happens to you is your body breaks down, it decomposes or whatever. Those atoms are still there. Your energy doesn't dissipate. It just moves on into another form and eventually the earth will get destroyed millions of years later. The sun will get destroyed and all of these atoms and and bits of energy is going to float around, evolve, turn into another star maybe, more planets are going to evolve from that, and there's going to be this cycle in the universe where you're, you're, you're part of this spinning crazy three-dimensional, fourth-dimensional uh, existence, which is fascinating to me, and uh, it's also quite calming because... You were nothing before life, and you will be still something after death. Does that make sense? It's quite convoluted. No, no. Well, like the idea of you came from something, and then you will become something else after you are of this form. Is that you? You're sure. conscious. You're you. You are conscious that this is who you are. Yeah. But 
that's the only difference, I guess. Is that that more? Yeah, say? it's um, it's trying not to be afraid of dying. If you're mm. aware of these concepts of what happens after you die, I feel your death would be more peaceful. Mm. It's quite difficult to explain. That no, but it's, it's 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 a tricky topic. It is a tricky topic, mm. and and the film is actually very tricky too. It's um. It's going to be very interesting to see an audience digest. Better make it a bit closer. Uh, how is it tricky? I mean, I mean, well, the te- way technically, I've, then I guess the, the way I've depicted it, it's um, it's extremely experimental. Um, it's very, very physical. There's not a lot of dialogue. Um, it's very movement based, and uh, heavily, it'll it'll use a lot of musical elements and and sound elements to to get across the idea of this fear. And the evolution from that fear to peace and enlightenment. Enlightenment? Yeah. I feel like if you can overcome certain aspects of fear, what scares you and what scares you is a mental thing. It all happens in your mind. And what the fear does, it releases certain chemicals inside of your body. So what you perceive, what you think about, what worries you, at the end of the day, your physicality is still the same. So you can have all of these worries and, oh my God, I, I, I need to pay my taxes, but I can't, I don't have any money. Your, your body feels that. It feels that stress. And your physiology gets affected. If you let that go, your physiology changes. But at the end of the day, no one is stabbing you. No one's punching you or anything. Mm. Physically, you're okay. You're all right. You're still breathing. And um, so that's something that I, I wanted to explore with this film. How does your how does your mental well being affect your uh, physicality, your physiology? Do you meditate, or do you explore the idea of mindfulness? Because you mentioned mindfulness earlier, I guess. Yes, but yeah, does meditation definitely. come in? Yeah, I think meditation is a good uh, exercise to to calm the mind um, if it needs calming. People usually call me a very cerebral person. Um, which I, I don't mind. Uh, I well, feel it's, it's been as a compliment, right? It's not, it's uh, not always <laughs> sometimes. I mean, there, there are some people I know who, uh, aren't that cerebral, but I feel like there's, there's just so much to think about. There's so much that I need to clarify. So I'm always in my mind, even when I'm meditating, I'm still thinking about what this is actually doing to me. And hence I start thinking about it. Um, Meditation is really difficult, but I feel like once you can master it, uh, it's probably a very powerful tool to have. Do you think your your background, your cultural identity has anything to do with you being particularly cerebral, you wanting to explore this particular topic? Yeah, I think so. I feel like I'm, I'm very much blessed being a a third culture kid or a mixed race kid because it's given me um, multiple points of views instead of just one you know I wasn't raised by parents that had one ideology they had two separate ideas on how to approach life and I was exposed to both of them and being exposed to two different things or three or four different things it gives you options and being given options allows you to think more for yourself it allows you to explore and analyze and be critical and skeptical of things that are around you because no one has the right answer Um, as opposed to let's say i was raised in a family and both of my parents were christian i'd most likely be a christian now most likely Uh, it's not not for sure, but let's say I was raised in uh, the Middle East to Muslim parents, I probably would be a Muslim right now. So it's it's very fortunate for me to be have, have been raised in a place like Hong Kong, which is very multicultural. Uh, at school, we were learnt, uh, we were taught many different religions. I think uh, religious education it was right. called, and it was great. Yeah, I got to learn so many different cultures. We got to go to like a Sikh temple or a, a synagogue or a church or a mosque, and it allowed you to be critical from a, a very early age. And then at home as well, both of my parents believed in different things. 
it allowed me to be critical of what they believed in and uh, what is fact and what is fiction and what is opinion um, what is rational thought irrational thought and then I, I was lucky enough to go to, Lo to Los Angeles and America is just a, a big uh, melting pot of different cultures mm. they all call themselves Americans but they all come from you know you've got uh, African American culture you've got white American culture you've got uh, the upper class, the middle class, the lower class, uh, Democrats, Republicans, and it's all opinions, and viewpoints, and experiences, and it's all about experience. And I think that's what's allowed me to explore mindfulness and, and really be critical and analytical of what people believe is right for them. And then I look at the bigger picture, and I see what is... <laughs> Uh, how do I know what is right for humanity? I have no idea, but I can I can present an opinion about it because I've experienced so much from so many different point of views, as opposed to just one point of view. The idea of tribalism mm -hmm. is kind of what tears a lot of humanity apart. Yes, and I, but I totally understand. I agree. Where it comes from it's self-preservation. I mean, we need to like yeah. that's a big part of it. We need to protect us. We need to be to 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 be alive, to survive those harsh environments, we need to band together. And it's too much work to tolerate another person's cultural identity. That's why I feel there's a lot of problems in the world right now. You know, you've got problems with the European Union, you've got problems with America, like these big, big institutions of, of a mix of culture, and everyone's trying to tolerate each other. And it's reaching, it seems like it's reaching a point where they, they just can't be bothered anymore because they want to protect what they have which is easy for them i mean that's that's what people want at the end of the day an easy life and if i'm hanging out in a giant country like america with i don't know 14 15 50 million people or whatever and they all believe in the same thing they all look the same they all eat the same food you know how easy that would be there's no there would be no conflict you know no one would be protesting about anything you know, because everyone would be believing and thinking um, and doing the exact same things. I mean, that's what Sick to My Bones is about, essentially, at the end of the day. Is assimilation a good idea? Like America, the West, whatever, going to the Middle East and promoting democracies. Like, this is how you should be living. Well, hang on, though. But you're saying that in the U.S., you feel that you going to the U.S. now would be easy because there is enough assimilation overall? No, there isn't. Okay. No. I mean, that's... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. No, because uh, you mentioned the melting pot. I am. Um, yeah. In high school, um, from my last two years of school, I had to go back to the U.S. of high school, mm -hmm. and I had an American history class, U.S. history, and uh, the history teacher said, "We always talk about America being as this great melting pot." Mm. He said, "But the reality is, it's not actually a melting pot." Right. He said, "It's more like a salad." And then we're like, what do gotcha. you mean? What do you mean? And he's like, your tomatoes, your lettuce, your cucumber, that is your cultural identity. Mm. That is where, from wherever you are from, whatever you've brought with you, that yeah. is you. But the salad dressing, everybody gets that. Yeah. And that's the, that's the American identity. And gotcha. that's, that's far more apt, he said, as an, as, a, as an analogy. That's a great analogy. I think it's perfect, right? It's great. But the idea is how do we get everyone in the salad bowl to get along that's kind of what we're exploring here and that's kind of what you're trying to explore in the yes. film as well yeah. right so you can't you can't kill culture you know that that just can't happen you know there's always going to be stuff like religion there's always going to be stuff where i i like uh, a particular thing which you're going to hate it's differences of opinion even the idea of subculture or counterculture is yeah. in itself a culture yeah, right that's definitely. kind of reality of how it is yeah what what I find dangerous, like I said this before, um, culture can be dangerous, is if that's the only thing that you're aware of. And so that's, mindfulness. That, I'm yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the mindfulness, mindfulness part the of awareness, it. and and if you can be mindful and aware, if you if you study, if you look at the history of humanity, of Homo sapiens, not just the history of civilization, that's only going back a few thousand years, but the the history of Homo sapiens. The, the, the beings or the, the evolution of animals themselves. If you go even further back and you're aware of 
why we behave the way we do, why we need to have things like culture or cultural identity, then you look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is what we were talking about before, which is the human identity. Mm. You can't be a racist if you understand what race is. The people who are racist are either a, they're not really racist and they're culturists. So they have an, an, an issue with their culture. It just so happens that they look a certain way. But those who are truly racist because of how a person looks, just based on how they look, they, they don't understand that we are all Africans. Humanity evolved from Africa. The reason why I have light skin is because over millions of years, my ancestors migrated out of Africa. Their skin got lighter as they went h higher up into the northern atmosphere. Uh, northern hemisphere and hence the pigmentation in my skin changed and evolved but at the end of the day if you trace it back i am an african but a lot of people don't know this kind of stuff so it's the human identity that i feel needs to be it needs to be it needs to be taught and it's it's not really being taught to to people that have a platform to 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 be political or or, or be leaders in their cultural communities or religious communities. So, so this touches on education. Yeah. The idea of the human condition. I'm assuming. And yes. and and science. Yeah. I can't help but think that political correctness might have impeded some of this, in terms of we won't teach these things because it may offend some people, so therefore we won't express it. Doesn't so matter. We tolerate. No, I I, yeah. I I understand. <laughs> I understand that. I understand that. <clears throat> empirical fact is empirical fact. Yeah. I understand that, but I'm saying that, hence my mention of political correctness, is that the thing that may be impeding this? Or, or are we just not, are we just lazy? Are we just apathetic? Are we just... And, and <clears throat> bearing in mind, it's a huge world we live in. So yeah. different parts of the world will have different ways of tackling this, and everyone's on a different timeline. Mm -hmm. But the reality is we're in an increasingly global world where we have to engage with each other at a much faster rate. Is there any way we can expedite this? Well, we have the internet. Yeah. Best thing ever. This is why I feel that is the ultimate game changer. Where knowledge is the ultimate game changer. That was <clears throat> it was survival of the fittest for the longest time until knowledge. Then if you have and text because you can acquire knowledge, you can acquire information and you can outsmart, outthink, outgrow, sure. and learn. Knowledge is key. The internet is amazing for that. I mean, that's how you raised funds to do this project. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wouldn't be here right now if not for the internet. You know? We wouldn't be doing it. We, we, <clears throat> audiences wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. But the internet is also a dangerous tool, too. Well, any, I think that's the reality. Anything is a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, you're in right. the wrong in the wrong hands or the right hands, the, in, the intentions are important. But this is where I think I agree that science is important. Is empirical fact is empirical fact. Yeah. Yes, and I feel like it also it all has a lot to do with how people choose to think and choose to behave, um, and it's it's got a lot to do with that small community versus living in a giant big city. If you're in a big city, you're exposed to many different cultures. You're 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 being fed so much different information that it questions your small little community uh, upbringing. So how much of that is a choice then? Uh, well, well, no, because a lot of it, like, so you mentioned earlier the idea of who we are now has a lot to do with our parents, our upbringing, mm -hmm. where we grew up, Definitely. all that kind of stuff. Our experiences color who we are. It sounds like, and I, and I think this makes sense, is awareness and knowledge should be the things that help guide our decision-making and how we view things. And that's the game changer. That is the great equalizer. Yeah. Is that the case? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it's also how to get that knowledge and awareness to these people that don't have it. Mm. Um, and then you've, you've got parents who are going to forbid a child to to know certain things mm. <clears throat> uh, when you're a child you're susceptible to many different opinions your parents opinions is the word of the land 
you know when you're when you're three four years old you're a sponge and who are you going to listen to you're going to listen to the person that you've been sucking on their tit for the last like two years whatever you trust them more than anyone else why would you trust anyone else except your parents right they're the ones who are putting the roof over your head and if they tell you a story like don't do this or you're going to go to hell a big crazy demon character is going to burn you if you do something anything wrong um you're going to believe them and you might believe them for the rest of your life because they also have the support of a community of other parents who are raising their children doing the exact same things and then once that community grows and grows and grows it seems more and more real um but it doesn't mean it's true because they're not being exposed to these empirical facts that are out there they're being exposed to stories and opinions i don't know it's it's been something i've been thinking about for the last 10 years and it's still very difficult for me to articulate that's why i think i'm an artist i i present my ideas through paintings and film uh, in my performance and puppetry uh but Otherwise, i think i'd be like a, a scholar or something in a university <clears throat> Yeah, or a scientist, or, or testing yeah. things out, right? Yeah, yeah. A geneticist or something. I could totally see that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the big thing is to question. You're questioning why, you're questioning what is, you're questioning what isn't. Yeah. And I think that that's ultimately what a lot of art is about, is, it does, is, is it's asking the questions. It's asking the questions, yeah. Let's, let's um, reveal the question itself. You know, because sometimes someone might look at uh, a piece of art, not necessarily mine, and go like, oh, I never thought about that before. I, that never even came to my mind. I, uh, I had a conversation with a friend of mine recently, and they're very religious, um, found Jesus, um, has seen Jesus in her visions and stuff. And uh, she told me about how she was in this circle of friends at church and they were praying and praying and she felt she actually felt this feeling inside of her and it made her feel bliss and love and happiness and enlightenment and uh, she said it was the holy spirit and she turned to me is like and because you're an atheist you don't think that happened to me you don't think that was real i'm like no 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 you did feel those things but it wasn't because of a Holy Spirit or a, or a supernatural being. You felt those things because of your, how your brain works. Your brain is so susceptible to your environment. You had people around you that were doing the same things as you. When you're, it's, it's just like watching a football match with all of your mates. You feel that sense of euphoria because everyone else in the same room is chanting and cheering on for that same team. And you feel accepted. And you feel bliss and love and comfort and safety. And it's the exact same thing. And your brain will release those certain chemicals that affects your physiology. And it's going to make you feel really good. So the experience is real. But it's the labeling that's problematic. It's the why, right? It's the why did you actually feel that. It's the explanation for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How do we get on? Oh, because we were talking about the fear of death. Yes. Hmm. And, yeah. and the idea of heaven. Whew. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go back to that because we, you, and I can unpack this religion discussion. But it, but uh, uh, it, it all boils down to to why I, I created these films in the first place. It, they are my uh, experimental way of deciphering what I've gathered from religious ideology. Okay. You know, is there another way for you to feel? A sense of happiness, feel a sense of bliss, uh, be at peace with yourself, be happy, um, be okay with the fact that you have demons, for example, or there is a bad side to you, and and not blame yourself for it, and not and not worry that you're going to go to heaven, but it's okay because we're all we all have our flaws. No one is different. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has an issue. Everyone has a loved one. Everyone has. A family member that's gone through something traumatic. You've gone through something traumatic, but is there a way for you to acknowledge and experience, acknowledge and and be aware of these experiences without a story that could be potentially dangerous for the good of humanity? Because I feel stories like this 
being deemed as fact can hold us back. It's the idea of good people doing bad things for what they perceive as good reasons. Yes. I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, on a more personal level, like that, that really works for, for, for bigger issues like uh, ISIS, for example. You know, they could be essentially good people at the end of the day when they're raised, but they're doing terrible, horrible things to other people because they believe deep down that their God is telling them to do that. But on a more personal level, um, it's as... Uh, well, there are perfectly good reasons, valid reasons to do good things and to, and, and to explain why we experience certain things without having it to be, uh, to use a word that came earlier, supernatural, right? Like, like I shouldn't have to be good to my parents because uh, religion tells me to, but because right. I love them and, and I, I respect them. And it's right. in my best interest to maintain community because community is, we are social animals. Yes. And therefore, it's good to help to have that. And that's why it's also good to have children. I don't have to have a lot of children because or take or, or adopt children, take care of children or the idea of having a next generation because I need to carry on this ideology. It's because I want to continue the species. Sure. Right? As a, as a, I'm, I'm trying to see if For that's example. what kind of what you as examples Something of. Like that. Yeah. OK. Um, and it. Sorry, brain brain farting. No, don't worry, right man. Now. You've been you've been on three hours sleep for <laughs> for how many how many weeks uh, every night? I mean, yeah. Um, so. so there's one thing that I I, I do want to say, which is, despite my um, very atheistic beliefs and uh, how anti-religious I am, it's it's still a a respect that I have for these stories and these beliefs which is the same as respecting someone's culture. They're raised on it, they believe in it, and makes them happy. Sometimes they have no choice but to accept these stories because it makes them happy. It makes them lead a good life. It's the, but it is the human element. It is, is what we were talking about before, about understanding what we are as these physical beings living in this 3D world, as these evolved animals. As long as we can get if I can get that across in my art in some way or another, then I feel like I've done my job. As long as people are aware of the facts. You can still believe in whatever you want to believe, but you have to... You cannot reject empirical fact. Like the fact that the universe is 14 billion years old, or the planet is 4 billion years old, and we have evolved over millions and millions of years, and... We're going to die, and we're going to go back to being stardust. As long as people can accept those things, I feel that humanity has a chance. So the third movie that you're going to work on, the trilogy that sort of, yeah. that sort of closes out this exploration of yeah. this particular topic. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not entirely sure where the third film is going to go. Um, I have some visual ideas. Uh, only recently have I started really thinking about the story and the concept. And uh, I feel it will deal with either the issues of time travel, what is the fourth dimension, what is space-time, and uh, or the end of the universe itself, the end of reality itself so exploring that concept uh, maybe looking into things like quantum physics and string theory um, but <laughs> trying to make it accessible to people yeah i'm excited for that when yeah. do you think that'll be i mean when when is this going to wrap because you've still got a few shots to do i think you said yeah. and then you've so we, post-production and all that stuff yeah yeah so i feel hopefully if everything goes to plan and uh because we've we've spent pretty much all the money that we've raised on production, and uh, so we ne we need to raise some more money on post production. So we've got some VFX elements, uh, we've got music, we've got sound, um, uh, voiceover, grading and editing, and all of that will finish probably at the end of the year, and then we'll do the twenty seventeen uh, festival circuit, and either twenty eighteen or end of twenty seventeen we'll start working on the third film and then hopefully 
with these three films. The idea is with this short trilogy, uh, it'll be enough content for me to show to possible investors to try and turn it into an actual feature film. If you could share a message for someone, for the people that want to perhaps pursue the lifestyle or the type of work that you do, as in you're someone that works in the arts, you've made a choice, because being an actor isn't particularly easy. No. Nope. I mean, even if, even if you have all the money in the world, it doesn't necessarily mean you get to work as an actor. It doesn't mean you get to work as a painter. It doesn't mean you get to work as an illustrator. It doesn't mean you get to work as a director. But based on your life experience, mm. is there anything, any knowledge, any wisdom you want to share? Just put in your hours. You know, if you want to be good at something, just keep working at it. Keep working at it. People are going to shut you down. Egos are going to go flying off the walls. Uh, you're going to hit these brick walls all the time yourself. You're going to keep doubting yourself. But if you truly think that objectively, and it's very, very difficult to be objective with your own craft, to look back and go like, yes, I'm actually terrible at this, so I should stop doing it. Uh, it doesn't matter how much I work on it, I am terrible. And I know a lot of people out there who call themselves artists and they are doing horrific work. And I'm trying to be as objective as possible. It's absolutely horrific work, but they get away with it because of certain circumstances or whatever. Um, but if you really feel that you can contribute something, not for yourself, not for your, your own ego, um, so you can be famous or whatever, to fulfill your own inner desires but if it's to share a message or to help advance the the way people think then go for it just keep working hard at it and eventually you'll come across people that will agree with your views will love your art and you just stick by those people because they're the ones who are going to help raise you up to the next level and that's what's been happening with me um, I wouldn't be where I am right now if not for the support that I've had from other artists that I know. And it's going to be really difficult. And you might never reach the level that you want to achieve. But as long as you try, you can look back in your life and at least say that I tried and I gave it a shot. Theodore Roosevelt has this famous speech that I love. Um, and he... Um, I'll paraphrase it because I don't want to butcher it. Um, it was the idea of uh, it's not the critics that matter. It is the individual who is in the arena actually fighting, actually marring and clawing their way. That person, that fight, that struggle, that individual, that's what matters. And it isn't necessarily about succeeding, but it is about working hard and trying. Um, there was a great line he says. Um, I think it's, um, <coughs> it is something about, ah, damn it, I don't want to mess it up. Never mind. I'll, I'll, I'll post it up later or something or I'll add it as a part okay, of the thing. Gotcha. But it just reminded me a bit of that. Anyway, buddy, thanks a lot. Hey, I appreciate thank it. thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to me rant. No, man, it's, <laughs> it was, I mean, it, it's an important discussion. I mean, this is why I have this. This is why we do this is, who knows where it's going to go, but if it's a meaningful, real, genuine conversation, yeah. I'm all about it. Yeah, yeah. So. For sure. How can people follow you? How can people find your stuff and be objective themselves and see what they think of your art? Like, yeah, please. Um, <laughs> yeah, like send me hate mail. I, I, I welcome that. I welcome the debate, genuinely, because it makes me a, a more, more aware person. Um, but you can find me, uh, just type in Nomad's Land. Anywhere, and uh, you'll find me. Any sort of social media, online, my website, Nomadsland. N-O-M-A-T-T-S-L-A-N-D. Yes. Which is inspired by Batman. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> anyway, buddy, thanks a lot. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it.
It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who, at the best, knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Citizenship in a Republic, Theodore Roosevelt, Paris, France, April 23rd, 1910. So there, that's the speech I was referring to. Thanks a lot, guys. Until next time.